CGM 99.1 FM programming is hosted almost exclusively by community volunteers. The views and opinions expressed on the following program are that of the host and their guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of CJAM FM. For more information and resources, visit our website at cjam.ca. Hi, I'm Samantha, a past guest on CJAM's HandyLink. You're listening to HandyLink on CJAM 99.1 FM, reaching high ground in Windsor, Detroit. that provides recreational and athletic opportunities for individuals with disabilities in Windsor-Essex. For more information, check out ICHA Windsor On on Facebook. I'm your host, Cam Wells. This segment of our show, Avery Roberts and Kelly Berger will be telling us a little bit about Cure CMD. So, can you tell me a little bit about Cure CMD? Kelly, I don't know if you want to go for it. I can go. Okay, you can go, Avery. Yeah, so um, CureCMD is a rare nonprofit organization um, in the neuromuscular space, um, and our mission is to advance treatments um, towards the congenital muscular dystrophies um, and also provide um, support to our community um, and improve the lives of those living with CMD. Um, through engagement and support of our community. Um, so we, um, we create um, resources and provide information to our community um, that we think would be of value. Um, Kelly and I personally have CMD, um, same subtype actually, um, and we are able to then provide our perspectives um, to the community. And our main goal is to educate, um, support, and provide engaging content, um, highlighting areas and relevant topics that truly resonate with the community and are at the forefront of the minds of those living with these conditions. And we do that through all different formats, from video formats to webinars and resource pages, um, and in terms of building connections, um, happy hours, and Facebook support groups. Um, just the pace with which information is now getting out there has dramatically increased over the last couple of decades, and it continues to exponentially increase. Um, 
And we find very often that the information healthcare professionals had a few years ago has either evolved significantly or in some cases um, are flat out outdated. And um, just the fact that we're able to provide and make targeted information to our CMD community available is so important and of so much value. And we're so grateful that we're able to create conversations around disability like this one that help others feel less alone and know their voice too matters and make such a positive impact. Um, so, so I'm wondering, how do you go about reaching out to those affected with CMD to let them know that uh, your work and your resources do exist? Yeah. Kelly, do you want to take that on? Yeah, sure. So we, um, on our website, we have a lot of um, different resources that they're able to access through the website, as well as, um, you mentioned, the social networks. Um, they have Facebook, Instagram, whatever. We are open to messages and uh, um, answering emails to try to connect. Not only with that, we also have a um, peer-to-peer support system where um, we connect uh, CMD different subtypes and different ages, um, either affected or family members to try to um, kind of just guide them on their journey and offer advice. Um, so we're definitely open to uh, trying to make those connections as well as um, having open like happy hours and just conversations on social media to, because um, in the rare disease world, we're all kind of spread out. So it's nice that we have these uh, abilities to, connect and link others that maybe feel alone or don't know where to go with their diagnosis. So, do you ever encounter any myths concerning CMD? Um, yeah, so I think you mean just maybe different um, treatments or different things that they're misdiagnosed or they've gotten wrong information. Um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of that out there, I think, um, with different media outlets and this and that. People can kind of give advice freely that may not always be... Um, the correct medical advice. Um, so we definitely like to try to step in and help offer um, referrals to medical professionals that can better assist them with um, their needs or the, um, whatever they're feeling. So in your time with Cure CMD, has there been any success moment that stands out for you where you were able to provide support to someone in their journey? Yeah, so I think just there are so many different journeys and paths that we encounter um, in this community, and there are really five main subtypes that CareCMD supports. Um, and even though they're all CMD subtypes and under the CMD umbrella, they share commonalities and similarities, but they also all are so unique and different. Um but no matter what, we still all share our stories. And Kelly and I both have CMD, and we both share our experiences with each other, too. Um, and, of course, even though we have CMD and we don't share our stories, advocate, and do all this work for self-serving purposes, you know, we're doing it for our community and on a mar much larger scale, the rare disease community as a whole. And while our journeys are ongoing, there are still barriers that we're still going to face. Um, 
but we're also doing it for the people that are just starting out in this space and trying to give them the resources and the answers that we wish we had when we were personally diagnosed and starting this journey. Um, and it just adds on to the to sharing our perspective as personally living with CMD and being able to relate firsthand to our community and know the day-to-day struggles and what they're going through, something that really drives our work and we're able to successfully do that um, every day. So if you could send any message about the need for awareness of this condition and uh, the need for supports for those affected, what would you say? I can go or you can go. (laughs) Okay, no, I would just say um, definitely just like our message is you're not alone. Um, We're here to help. We're here to offer support and there are people out there just like you that are maybe struggling or maybe having um faces some of the same issues um so yeah i would just say that um you know we're here to help support refer help treat and just um keep positivity within the community and you can build on that avery if you want yeah um you know there's power in numbers and together change can happen so when all rare disease patients share their stories, it really shines a light on our community. Um, and sharing our stories really gives insight to our paths for diagnosis. Each of us have a unique path. Or even just sharing what kinds of signs and symptoms to look for. It can all help alleviate struggle or someone feeling lost and alone and possibly shorten their road or lead to an early diagnosis. Um, of course, we're not all clinicians and in the medical field, um, but we all have experiences and share those experiences. Um, and I just really believe that sharing our stories gives hope. Um, we always say hope is tenacious. Um, hope speaks of a never give up attitude, really. And some people battle with the life sentence of gradual muscle loss and so many other symptoms, which comes with the promise of an atypical day-to-day. Um, and if I could go back again and know the things I know now, I probably would have gotten an earlier diagnosis. I would have alleviated some of my own uncertainty. But we all empower ourselves and others that we're not alone and that there is a hope for a better and improved future. And we're along this adventure and journey with you. And it truly does take a village. I thank you both for taking the time out to do this, but if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great. Yeah, of course. Of course. In this segment of our show, David Taylor will be telling us about ALS. So, what can you tell me about the ALS Society? So ALS Canada has been around now since 1977. Uh, we are the sole national nonprofit for ALS in in Canada. Uh, we also do community services in Ontario. So we support through equipment and direct services for people who are diagnosed with ALS within the province and under our, our provincial health care system. Uh, and we also uh, provide both national advocacy and national research through our national research program, which really funds the best peer-reviewed research in Canada, but also connects Canada into the global effort to understand and treat ALS. So, how do you reach out to the affected population? 
Yeah, so we do this in various ways. Uh, a large part of it, we can connect through those who register with our organization for services as a charity. We obviously provide those community services uh, uh, free of charge to individuals, and that's how we can connect with people in a direct manner. Uh, we have individuals uh, called community leads that go into the homes and help uh, uh, navigate the local systems. I know that if I were diagnosed with ALS, I wouldn't know the natural places to go within my area. Uh, and then we do all kinds of different things, events like a walk to end ALS. We we have uh, uh, webinars and, and all kinds of discussion panels and, and, and different aspects where we, we bring people live with lived experience and who are affected by ALS into those because, you know, it's the most powerful and most important voice uh, at the table. So for those who might not be as familiar, what are some of the common impacts of ALS? Yeah, so ALS is a disease where the living wires that connect our brain to our muscles that are called motor neurons essentially degenerate and die. Uh, so we have ones in our brain that connect to our spinal cord and then ones that connect from our spinal cord to each of the muscles of our body. So when those degenerate, you can imagine that those muscles can no longer be told by the brain to move. And so we lose the ability to uh, move speak, swallow, eventually breathe, which is what makes it a terminal disease. So it's a progressive paralysis that happens, you know, at varying rates from person to person, uh, but on average about two to five years after the time someone's diagnosed, they will, uh, it will be a terminal disease. So what are some of the most common supports asked for when people contact ALS Canada? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that we can help provide is, as I said, the direct support and care that we have with community leads that go into the home. They help people navigate those things that are already in place within the province to to help support them and provide uh, all that they need. Uh, but then at the same time, we have an equipment program. So as the disease progresses, people may need anything uh, from a walker to eventually a wheelchair, uh, help with going to the washroom or uh, uh, stair lifts and all these, uh, you know, different things that can help provide quality of life as the, as the disease progresses. And then from the other side of things, you know, we want to advocate for, for more treatment access. Us. We don't have the best treatments yet for ALS. We're going to get to better treatments in the in the future um, with the great research that we're doing. But at, as in the meantime, the things that are there to help slow down progression of the disease, we are advocating on behalf of people to try to get access. So, do you ever encounter any myths or stereotypes concerning ALS? Yeah, uh, there's definitely uh, uh, stereotypes that that one of them is that people are. Uh, completely locked in their body with no uh, changes in cognition. One of the really devastating things about ALS is that there's a subset of, of cases where people also have uh, a, a difficulties with the way that they think while having the progressive paralysis. That's a tough one. And, and just, I think... You know, there are a lot of people sometimes that will start in the speech muscles. Uh, and so, you know, you'll start to slur your speech and people can sometimes take that the wrong way and not realize that it's something a person can't control if they're slurred speech. But, you know, one of the biggest myths that's out there actually is that there are, you know, treatment centers or clinics that uh, tout to have therapies that can cure the disease or really stop the disease and take money and take advantage of people with ALS. And it, it turns out that, you know, in all of those cases, that's not true. And if those did exist, we would absolutely be getting them to people as quickly as possible. So there's all kinds of things that, that are, are, are related to sort of misinformation that's out there that we, we have to try to continually correct. 
So, in your time with ALS Canada, has there been any success story that stands out for you? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, there have been a few. Um, in, in my time, I've been there for 10 years. Uh, we, you know, from a research standpoint, as a researcher, we've had tremendous successes in that we have um, moved the needle substantially in those 10 years. Uh, we have two therapies that have been approved in those 10 years that can help to slow progression of the disease. Those are huge milestones. Um, from an advocacy standpoint, we were able to get the Canadian government to extend what's called compassionate care benefits so that someone can take extra time, uh, extra paid time and benefits to take care of a loved one with a terminal illness. Um, and, you know, I think the biggest win we have is is continually trying to do things that can move the needle forward. We're never going to be fast enough, but every time that we get something in place that we know can ultimately impact people and get us faster to a future without ALS, it's definitely a win. And, and we're an ever-evolving and ever-moving forward organization that takes donor dollars very seriously. So if you could send any message to the community about the next steps that need to happen and the need to keep pressing forward, what would you say? Yeah, the number one thing, and this, I mean, this is going to sound very cliche because we're a health charity, but the number one thing, obviously, with ALS is funding. Um, you know, this is a disease that globally works with a fraction of a fraction of the funding of, say, cancer or heart and stroke. And it's also a far more complex disease. So we're trying to figure out and treat a more complex disease with a whole lot less more, whole lot less funding. So fundraising, supporting, uh, uh, being able to help move that needle forward to get there faster, this is obviously the biggest thing. I think awareness helps to get people in and, and, and learning about ALS and wanting to give because it can affect anyone at any time. And then for those who are willing to advocate on behalf of people with ALS for better support systems within Canada, in Ontario for care, um, access to therapies across the country, there are all kinds of things. And I think reaching out to us at, at als.ca, www.als.ca, or uh, through email or anything like that, we'd be happy to help anyone uh, get involved like to thank you for taking the time out to do this, but if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great. Sure. Thanks. Yeah, of course. Handy Link will be right back after these commercial messages, so stay tuned. So you're hanging with your inner circle. Maybe you're making cocktails. Maybe you're packing bowls. Even while we're distancing, it's important to remember, alcohol and cannabis each mess with your driving skills. Be cool. Make sure you and your friends get home safe. Take a cab if you need to. A few bucks could save a life. And we could do it again next weekend. A message from Arrive Alive, Drive Sober. by the Italian-Canadian Handy Capable Association, an organization that provides recreational and athletic opportunities for individuals with disabilities in Windsor-Essex. For more information, check out ICHA Windsor On on Facebook. I'm your host, Cam Wells. Earlier in our show, we heard a little bit about CMD from Avery Roberts and Kelly Berger. 
and David Taylor told us a little bit about ALS Canada. In this segment of our show, Cindy Anthony will be telling us about AAMAC. So what can you tell me about AAMAC? Um, well, AMAC is a um, not-for-profit organization, and we support patients with aplastic anemia, myelodysplastic syndrome, and PNH. Uh, we do that through a number of different uh, avenues. We uh, have online support groups. We have webinars, printed resources, online resources, and, and uh, we're actually just going to be starting in-person meetings again in the spring. So... How do you go about reaching out to the patient population to let them know about your work? Well, we try to do that in a number of ways. So, um, of course, we um, uh, send our information to uh, the hospitals and the different clinics, and we um, hope that the uh, doctors and nurses both share information about AMAC with, with the patients. Um, we are very active on uh, social media, so we... Um, advertise all of our meetings and, and resources uh, through our social media, like Facebook, Instagram, and we're on Twitter. Uh, we have newsletters that go out four times a year, both electronically and by mail. Um, and uh, I will say one of the most important things is is, is creating awareness about AMAC. Um, often what we hear from patients when they do discover us is that they wish they had learned about us sooner. So we are always looking for ways to ensure that patients hear about us as close to the time of their diagnosis as possible. So does your work include any sort of uh, mental health support in terms of a new diagnosis? Um, I'm glad you asked that. Yes, we, we consider the psychosocial aspect of the disease very, very important. Um, for some patients, they're very fortunate that, you know, within the um, hospital where they're treated, there will be uh, a social worker and um, they'll be able, would be able to avail themselves of those services um, if, if needed at the time of diagnosis. We, at our meetings, and we've had webinars and even our in-person meetings, we, we always try to include um, webinars and, and, and uh, um, sessions on the psychosocial aspect of having a disease. Um, these diseases, you know, are none of them are curable without a bone marrow transplant. And so the... Um, you know, the reality of facing a chronic disease can be very, very difficult. On top of that, there are three fairly rare diseases, so it's very, very difficult to, um, you know, maybe even find somebody else that has the disease. And one of the most important parts of, of us supporting the patients, um, you know, on an emotional standpoint is our peer-to-peer -peer support program. So we, we try to match a patient who has the same disease as them and obviously perhaps was diagnosed uh, one or two years earlier and uh, often that um, that contact right at the beginning with talking to a patient who's going through has gone through the same thing the patient's going through is, is the most helpful. So do you ever encounter any myths or misperceptions about these diseases? Um, I don't think so. I don't, I don't really think there's any um, you know, misconceptions really. Um, MDS is is uh, considered a blood cancer, 
and it's certainly not a misconception, but a reality is that the this this MDS can can progress to uh, leukemia, and so I I think um, the most important thing that and the reason we hope patients do find us is that you know there's so much misinformation on the internet, and I think so many people sort of turn to Doctor Google, you know, when they. Uh, you know, when they hear they have something or feel they may have something. And so, again, um, you know, that that uh, awareness is key so that if a patient, when a patient is diagnosed, that they're getting, you know, the proper information. So in your time with AMAC, has there been any success story that stands out for you? Oh, yeah, there's a lot of success stories. In fact, I was just uh, finished a patient group, and, and two of the people actually on that group have been recipients of um, bone marrow transplants um, and, you know, are, would be considered cured of their, um, and both one of them had a plastic anemia, the other one had um, MBS. Um, I mean, a, a bone marrow transplant can have, you know, certainly side effects after the fact, but you know when you when you hear a person who you know has had a successful transplant that they've had minimal side effects after, and the one lady you know who was on the call tonight will be going back to work, and uh, you know she she didn't know whether that would be possible when she was diagnosed, but uh, you know a match was found for her, and uh, so she's had a successful bone marrow transplant, and you know will go on to lead a, a relatively normal life. So, if you could send any message to the community about the need for awareness and to keep pushing forward for those affected with these diseases, what would you say? Well, I, I, I mean, we, we, awareness is key. And so, if they know of AMAC and they hear of somebody with one of the, the three diseases that we support, certainly would be, would be to share that information if there's any healthcare professionals who would be listening to um, this segment, just encouraging them to find out a little bit more about our organization and make the information available to patients at the different hospitals, um, you know, across Canada. And it, it's only with that awareness that, you know, we are going to reach the patients who need us. So what are the next steps forward for AMAC? Well, just going to be continuing to do, you know, what we've been doing. Um, uh, we are excited to be offering in-person meetings again, um, obviously, uh, you know, after, um, you know, three years of not having them due to the, due to COVID-19. But, um, you know, again, we will just continue supporting our patients, but we obviously have to react to changes and you know, um, our patients have adapted very, very well to online support groups. You know, we have a webinar at least one or two a month. And I think even people who prior to uh, the pandemic maybe weren't as comfortable online are more comfortable online. And, and uh, if there's a success story through the, um, through the pandemic, it would be that it, it's actually strengthened our online support for patients. So we'll just keep doing what we've been doing and, and supporting uh, patients and caregivers with these three diseases uh, the best we can and uh, always looking to adapt to, to new ways of, uh, of reaching our patients. Like to thank you for taking the time out to do this, but if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great. Okay, no problem.
Alright, my friends, I'm just going to come out and say it. I love Kelly and Avery's outlook on their condition. They're not advocating for themselves. They're advocating for others like them and in the rare disease community. It's important not only to recognize the value of standing up for one's equality in their own condition, but to be a voice for all people affected in any way. For the fact is, one disability or one condition is no more or less valid than another. And if one of us gets our voice heard, it makes it that much easier for another than another. Before you know it, you have the concept of actual inclusion and understanding. I admit freely that it takes time to break down those walls to get your voice heard, but it's definitely worth the effort. People with disabilities unite across sectors, across ideals, putting ego aside, come to that place where they recognize it's about service to one another and maybe we'll start to get something accomplished. The real tragedy I find in disability life is when one group places itself and its needs above another. Yeah, they have every right to say their work is important. They have every right to say our condition matters. But united, we're stronger. This has been HandyLink. I'm your host, Cam Wells, reminding you we're all equal, so get on out there and have yourselves a good one. Something tells me you've earned it, folks. We'll see you next week.